Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about Harley Quinn, the animated show. Season 3 has gone live with its first three episodes, and we are here to talk about it. What is happening in this show? What is it teaching us about different things? And can we find ethics in what seems like a slaughterhouse, sexy, guilty pleasure? All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthews, they, them pronouns. Um, I'm really excited for this episode, especially because we've got two great guests here to talk about Harley Quinn. One is Emily Sissel. Uh, Emily is the social studies teacher who's been on this podcast a bunch recently. Uh, recently had her on to talk about Ms. Marvel, and in the course of that discussion, realized that she's also a huge uh, Harley Quinn fan. I was super excited for the show to come out, so it's really excited to bring Emily back. Emily, say hello. Hey guys, Emily Sissel, she, her, hers pronouns, and man, this show is already off to a great start. <laughs> it really is. It really is. <laughs> My other guest is Abby Nyman. Abby is someone who actually I tried to have on the podcast uh, about a year ago or so. We recorded a great episode on Star Trek. Audio went kablooey, uh, you know. Which makes sense, because how many Star Trek episodes are based on technical problems? I should have expected that. But I also, Abby and I had been watching Harley Quinn together, having some great conversations about it. And so when season three came out, I was like, all right, Abby, this is the time to get you back on the podcast. So, Abby, say hello. Hi, I'm Abby. She, her, or they, them pronouns, please. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so let's kind of just dive right in. Let's start by, before we even jump into season three, I want to hear kind of hear some of your thoughts on it. And Emily, I'll start with you, because... Our listeners have heard you come on and talk about how comic book stories have all this important social relevance, and it's great to share them with kids and all the great things you can learn from them. Are you going to be showing Harley Quinn to your eighth grade students anytime soon? Man, I wish I could. <laughs> Every time I'm like, oh, yes, right there. She's defining terraforming and we're talking about great eco-terrorism. And then I'm like, oh, nope, there's boobs or oh, nope, there's a curse word. And oh, there's all this blood everywhere. Yep. Maybe wait well, for senior talk, level. <sighs> yeah. Well, and, and talk a little bit more about sort of what is it you love about the show? Because I do think, I think a lot of people write it off. I mean, A, some people do it because they don't like animation and that's just real dumb. But also, I mean, it's okay to not like it, but not to write it off. But I also think a lot of people do think, oh, this is just like slaughter and sex and there's nothing serious going on here. What, how do you respond to something like that? Uh, I think the big thing is that you kind of just have to, like, get over the slaughter and sex because, it, I mean, like, it's there. It's everywhere. That's part of what yeah. makes an adult animation an adult animation. But then underlying it, you have all these other problems. And what really drew me was at season one and two of Harley actually kind of just trying to separate herself from the Joker and find herself and get out of a toxic relationship because every female has gone through that at some point or the other. We've all had a Mr. J in our life. Uh, and so once I kind of like, it took me a f the first few episodes, my boyfriend was like, you're going to love this. And I watched one of them. I was like, am I though? <laughs> uh, because it really was just like, it's in your face and it's immediate and it's it's definitely crude at times so it's not for everybody but if you can kind of just like tune that out then you can get all of the wonderful just like dialogue and relationship building between people that's there and like the most ridiculous voice for bane <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i i think that's a really good way to put it you really have to just kind of accept like look this is about villains and one of the things that it's going to do so well is tell 
villains doing mundane things and us having very relatable stories. But by the way, they're going to slaughter lots of people and there's going to be lots of blood and death and Harley going, oops, I just killed 20 people. <laughs> My bad. And I broke a nail. Damn. Um, you know, and just kind of like love that part of it. And I, I agree with you. I think it's like, it, it, for me, it's not even getting over it. It's just for being like, okay. Accepting it. That's the rules of the world we're playing by. And I could sit here and be like, oh, Harley's a villain. She bet, like, of course she's a villain. But still, we can care about her and care about the, the struggles and stories she's going through. And you can still find parts of her that are relate, relatable to all of us. Um, yeah. You just kind of have to, like, get through that and accept that. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I, I think that the relatability they build is a big thing we'll talk about. Uh, Abby, what about for you? What was it that really kind of drew you into season one and two? I mean, it's really the similar thing. It's like the same with birds of prey that story of her leaving this toxic relationship mm -hmm. and finding herself and how she deals with the world and comes to terms with her own villainhood like mm -hmm. identifying herself as a villain versus being the sidekick to a villain i think is really yeah. fascinating like that we can have those stories for ourselves without having to be the good guy or be yeah. the hero I love how even in villains, there's still misogyny and she still has oh, to yeah. somehow prove that she's as bad of a person as everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's so good how they like, I think one of the things I like much with the show is that there is it's only that there's relatability is that they bring in so much of like mundanity of basic life, you know, so that like the the. The, is it the Legion of Doom? Is yeah. what they name there? Yeah. yeah. So that, like, you know, the Legion of Doom has parking spaces, like any office building would. And, and Bane's upset about it not getting the good parking space. And, and the CEO. They, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they complain about, like, you know, who finished off the sugar in the break room. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many of these wonderful moments of just, like, yeah, okay. Other than the blood and the bones, I can completely relate to this. I've had office politics that were annoying. I can feel for Bane in this situation. There was such a good example of that in these episodes with Bane at the at supermarket. The the yeah. And it was like a pun on Lex Luthor's name, which was amazing. Which of course now I can't remember what it exactly was. But I think it was like Lex Mart or something like that. Yeah, something like that. But like him having his identity stolen so he can't buy his materials and like realizing your credit card doesn't work at the cash register. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he makes because he's he's buying bombs. Yeah, he's a super super villain. Like, I have to bomb this place this evening. <laughs> I should say major spoilers for all three of the episodes that have gone live for Harley season three. If you haven't seen them, definitely watch them. They're all pretty short. It's a great watch. If you haven't seen season one and season two also watch it's all on hbo max you can probably steal your parents password whatever you need to do um we give that our ethical blessing here um but yeah and i love like he makes you know the the checkout person is like running them through and she holds the bomb up to the scanner and it beeps and he makes a joke about like oh when when a bomb beeps that's normally bad uh and it's just i don't know we're gonna be jumping all around here but i'll just say like he is one of my favorite characters in this he's because he's so, so just like oh i love him yeah, what is it that makes bane so relatable i think he's just a sad sack like just mm -hmm. anything that can go wrong does go wrong for bane and it doesn't get him down he just okay we'll try the next thing i don't even know what it is about bane that makes me like him i actually just think it's the ridiculous voice that they gave him this go around mm -hmm. yeah and i can't I cannot see a Bane without hearing that voice in my mind now. Like, even if I go back and watch, like, a more serious version of Bane in my mind, mm -hmm. I'm just, like, laughing because yeah, I can hear it. 
It feels very much to me. It's like a parody of the. I think it's Tom Hardy played him in yeah. Batman: Be- uh, The Dark Knight Rises, and it's just that very like. You don't know the darkness. I, I can't do it. Yeah. But like, it's that taken to a million. And he's just he just wants to be respected, you know? He just he just wants top villain every now and then. And I, I can support that. He does. And it's, like, to the point where he's kind of, like, the most relatable of, like, all the characters. Where we're all like, yeah, I've, I've been there. The bad parking spot. You get that. Somebody mm-hmm. uses all the things that you want to use. And mm-hmm. he's, he's just he- wonderful. <laughs> People steal his ideas in, corp- in, in conference meetings and yes. stuff like that. So, and before we jump into season three, the one other big thing I want to talk about, because you both mentioned it, and I think it is such a big part, is the way really all of season one and two are about Harley breaking free of like the abuse. You know, she's ended the relationship with Joker, but now there's all the kind of toxic deprogramming she has to do. And in season one, she's still kind of obsessed with him and maybe wants to get him back. And season two, she's... Uh, you know, kind of dealing with being without him. And then he comes back into her life in a kind of terrible way. Um, what what about that? And I, I really love also the Abby, you compared it to Birds of Prey. I think it like mm. this came out a year before Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey, I'm sure, I don't think like Birds of Prey got inspired by this. I'm sure they both was being made over many years. It's also just Harley's lo- story. Yeah, exactly. I think it's in the comics as well. But yeah, say more about what what it really meant to you seeing the way she developed over those two seasons in terms of her feelings for 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 Joker and of course eventually uh, her showing her feelings for and getting together with Poison Ivy. I mean, I think like you had said, like kind of every I'll say woman like has that story that we do or girl that they or person that they whether they were with or had a crush on or whatever. And we're just kind of indoctrinated that our identities should be who we're in love with like mm. no matter what the story is every like women in stories is usually about them being in love so like when you have an abusive relationship and your identity is supposed to be that you're in love and you are your relationship it so easily becomes your entire personality and so then when that goes away who are you how do you live outside of that watching Harley kind of find herself. And I think even in season three, like especially the first episode, we saw a lot of how do you bounce back from an abusive relationship into a non-abusive relationship? Like a lot of overcompensating, trying to make sure like, I don't want to lose this. You're my whole life, my whole world now. And just like little, little traits and little bits and pieces of those toxic relationships that carry over into all her other relationships, <laughs> because mm-hmm. that was just like how she was taught, even like going back and seeing her mom and her mom very much and very clearly being like, this person is supposed to be your whole life and your whole world. And yeah, so much of it, just so much of it, we've all had somebody like that in our life and we've all had a relationship like that in our life and then even our relationships for a couple years afterwards as we're trying to figure out what a healthy relationship actually legitimately looks like i mean i still have the piece of paper that my therapist gave me that that lists 11 like traits of a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. Um, because i like needed that and i had no idea what to do and every relationship after she gave me that paper i literally would like go down the list and make sure that it checked off every single one of them 
I think it's so true. I mean, I, I grew up in a very unhealthy household in a lot of ways, and I uh, definitely had some unhealthy relationships when I was uh, in college and high school and college and then after. And the first time I was really in kind of a healthy relationship, I was maybe six months in, I was talking to a good friend of mine who, you know, we both talked about these kind of things, and I was saying, like, I think it's really good, but I have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of bored. There, there's something missing. And he said, Matthew, what's missing is drama. What you're calling boredom is healthy. And I was like... Uh, oh, okay. I um, felt the same way with my first healthy relationship after that. I ended up breaking yeah. up with the guy. I was like, I kind of just like lost feelings with the person and like yep. separated because you just kind of got bored. Yeah. And I, I really love the way they depicted, especially in terms of like, because this is something I think abusive partners do all the time. You know, he treats her like crap. He treats her like garbage. He clearly shows that he, he doesn't care if she leaves. Until when she actually leaves, and he and now he just wants no, no he wants her gone entirely. And a lot of the first season is him, you know, trying to get her killed or trying to like ruin all of her plans. Yeah. And it's 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 this, I I think it's another part of abusive relationships sometimes is that people either wanna, it's the kind of like you know I always said if you you're not I'm the only one who'll ever love you I'm the only one who would ever be with you, and now that they're on their own you don't want to see them that abuser doesn't want to see them succeed and so Joker's just kind of cut her down at every possibility. And the more he could cut her down, the more likely it is that she'll go back to him. Right. Right. Because if nobody can have you, if I can't have you, nobody can have you. That type of right. situation. And if you're not with me, you'll never succeed. And if Harley did not have Poison Ivy being her, you know, friend there in the corner being like, no, stop. Do not do that. That's not healthy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and so let's let's start talking about season three and let's start talking about Harley, because now um, let's start talking about Poison Ivy. I mean, uh, Har- Harlivy, Har- Har- Harvey, um, <laughs> however, we're supposed to. There, there's some jokes about how we should describe their relationship. Um, but, you know, now she's free out of Joker. She's with Ivy. They're happy, you know, queer women together. Everything's great. Right. That's what we see in season three. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. It's perfect. There's never any drama. No concerns. Harley definitely isn't overcompensating and like putting way too much pressure on this one person. Yeah. Yeah. She and love bombing so hard. Oh my god. I was it's like love bombing. Teen day anniversary. What? Yeah. It, it's love bombing. It's overcompensating. I think. I think what you said earlier. It's that I'm terrified that this is the only chance I'll get at something healthy because I kind of don't believe. On some level, I'm imagining. Like, I think we're going to see a lot more of that because the writers are clearly very insightful about these things. I don't think any of that's accidental. I imagine at some point we're going to have something about how Harley feels like she doesn't de- deserve a love like Ivy's and that that's part of it. You know, I think there's just yeah. they're really doing a great job of in the midst of this, like, let's be ridiculously over the top. Let's also be incredibly real about human emotions. I think that's probably also how Joker show like taught her to show affection is just to give the person everything that you possibly can. Which is what he demanded of her, yeah. Exactly. And so now she's taking that as, well, this is how I show my love, you know, build them up, even if they don't want that. Mm -hmm. There's a, this is gonna be a weird connection, but another thing that I think of as having a lot of great insight into human relationships, even though the format wouldn't say it, is uh, the the TV show Crazy Mm Ex-Girlfriend. And there's a wonderful song in it called Love Droplets. Or what, what, I mean, do you remember what's the official name of it? Uh, I don't. I wish I okay, did. but she, I'll look it up and, and put it in later. But 
in the song, she basically sings about how she's in this relationship with someone who like barely acknowledges her, but then like maybe once a week will say like, oh yeah, you look good today. And then go back to be giving them nothing. And so they're just so hungry all the time for that little, little crumbs that they throw. And I feel like that's exactly what Joker did. You know, Joker, for the most part, treated her garbage. But every now and then would be like, good job, Harles. You, you helped capture Robin or whatever it was. And so she's both so desperate to get that from Ivy, but is also thinking it's terrible to never get that. So I want to give it every moment of every day. I looked it up. It's Love Kernels. Love Kernels. Thank you. But yes, it's exactly like that. Like she never wants Ivy to feel like she felt. So she's swinging hard the opposite direction. What was really cool, they kind of gave us a little insight into Kite Man, who is one of my all time favorite characters on that show, about how like he would do those types of little things and showing affection like through love, Mm -hmm. you know, like taking out the meat or taking out the onions of the chili. And I think that like. I almost felt like that was like a little insight for Ivy at that moment. Like, oh, that's what kind of Harley does is stuff like that. And now but she's doing it to an extreme. But now I understand because it was making me feel very weird. And it felt like she had a really good turn at the end of episode three. Yeah, I think so. Especially how she didn't notice it with Kite Man. And like, obviously, her relationship with Kite Man didn't succeed. Right. Last, I should say. Wasn't. Like, Which I I, I, I want to keep talking Harley and Ivy, but I want to take a quick divergence here. I am so glad for what they're doing with the character of Kite Man, because especially if it is, you know, if the story is about a woman who needs to get out of her relationship because she's she should be with someone else. And it can be any person, but especially with women, it's often portrayed as that relationship has to be the worst thing in the world. And in some ways, to me, showing that Kite Man was... He was dorky and extreme, and he was in some ways not the partner she wanted, but he wasn't a bad guy, and he never treated her badly. He just wasn't quite the right fit. I felt so bad for Kite Man in season two. I was like, he really didn't deserve the whole affair thing and left at the altar. I was like, she should have figured that out before the wedding. Yeah, Ivy was definitely kind of like the bad guy of that relationship. 100%. She was not kind to him. No. Which was just so refreshing because like normally that's not – you don't tell that story. Your protagonists are the good ones and the sort of side characters are are not. But everybody – But when your protagonists are the the bad guys, you get a little more leeway. (laughs) This is true. True. And and also just I think like – I don't think this is everyone, but I think for many people, myself unfortunately included – we have had situations where like it may have taken us a while to figure out what we actually want and maybe not be the best to our partners at the time while we're figuring that out. And like, yeah, to me, it doesn't make it doesn't make me not. I definitely judge Ivy for that, but I also relate to her. And it doesn't make me feel she's a bad like I'm not like, oh, I can't like Ivy anymore. It's like, no, Ivy, you're in a really tough situation. You could have handled it better, but I, I also get it. Yeah, it's a very human thing. Yeah, it's a very human show. Watching the show is just incredibly therapeutic. It just feels like you're kind of going through, like, even if it's not exactly what you've gone through. Well, clearly, because we're not mass murderers. But even if it's like, oh, this is true. (laughs) This is the first I've met you, Abby. Who knows? (laughs) But no matter what, like, there's there's some kind of storyline that they tell 
within the show that you can kind of relate to and you can kind of be like, ah, I guess that's me. And now we're watching them actually essentially go through therapy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very true. I mean, especially the dynamics with their team, like King Shark and Clay Clayface are both basically kind of therapists to the group in like somewhat different ways. But uh, one last thing I want to say on Kite Man, that we can go back to their, their relationship and then some of the other stuff from the season so far. I, I rewatched the end of season two to kind of get ready for this. And I remembered one of my favorite moments, which was, it was again, showing that like, it's not like Ivy hated every moment with Kite Man. She had some really good times. There's one moment where they've just gotten back from the bachelorette party and Harley has asked her to leave Kite Man. And she said in part why she can't. And that it, it, at that moment, it's not just because she like doesn't want to acknowledge her feelings for Harley. It's because she's like, I kind of like safe sometimes. I kind of like boring. And he says, honey, do you want to go? eat chili and sit on the couch for five hours and she says yes that's and exactly like, what she needed yeah and like that's i like adventures but i like cooking food and sitting on the couch and binging tv as a date like mm -hmm. that's i don't know i just actually i love kite man so much I, I like kite man's new girlfriend a lot too the conversation that she had with ivy just yes. like melted me like you don't have to be rivals with your ex-partner's new partner. They're not your competition. Oh, so good. They're just a person who loves a person that you loved. It's, uh, I just adore Kite Man so much. Just so much. He's just so wonderful mm -hmm. and he deserves the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. <laughs> he and really all of deserves the vodka the cranberries. World. And he doesn't deserve having, you know, Condiment Man out there and... <laughs> We haven't seen Condiment. We, we saw a lot of villains at the uh, the the villies, they're called. <laughs> yes. The, the, the award show for villains, which we'll definitely talk about. The one thing I just want to say about um, Harley and Ivy that I really love, especially because they're developing it this season, is, yeah, I think the first episode is where the codependence was the worst. It got better, but it's still there. I think it's still going to be an issue. And <clears throat> we saw in those first two seasons, both Harley and Ivy either with or having recently been with male partners, uh, in one case Joker, in the other case Kite Man, and now they're together. And I've not heard a word from either of them of, oh, thank God I can finally admit that I'm only interested in women. Or I was no And I just, for bisexual representation, which we don't see very often, it makes me so, so happy. Yes. Because I think that, again, would, it would have been so easy to have one of them be like, oh, yeah, no. But they just say to Kite Man, like, I just realized I'm not into guys. And like, that would have been fine. But they didn't, and I really appreciate that. It just didn't – and even if they did that, it wouldn't have felt natural to me because I'm like, no, no, no. Like, they very, very clearly were into that dude. Like, 100% yeah. were into him. They just also happened to be into a female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that point. That's a really great point. I liked how it balanced, too, with how uh, – they introduced the Riddler as gay with what's his name? Clockface. Yeah. Clockman. Clockman. Yeah. And like they were very clear that they were gay and happy to have come out as gay and like pretty much weren't interested in women, but they didn't mm -hmm. do that with Harley and Ivy. Like they knew yeah. that they did that. 100% the entire time with the Riddler, I was like, there is no way that man is straight. The oh, God, even, no. Even in, even in comics and stuff like that, he is the most dramatic, like, mm -hmm. flamboyant. The Riddler is drag. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the modern word I think is extra. Yes. The Riddler is super extra. It's so and, extra. <laughs> and like as someone who I, I'm in my mid 40s and I'm still like I only recently came out as trans a couple of years ago as non-binary and I'm still figuring stuff out. Like when he said the biggest riddle has been figuring out my own sexuality, <laughs> I, I teared up. I was yep. like, I'm with you. You're a horrible villain. But I get that. Good for you for solving that riddle. That's so hard. It's, it really it's hard for everybody because it, sexuality is such a spectrum in so many different portions <laughs> and, and ways so fluid, and it changes constantly. Right. I mean, I think it was there was some TV show where they started talking about asexuality and stuff like that. And I had to sit there and I had to ponder for a moment. I was like, well, am I not like just like super into sex anymore? Or am I actually like more asexual because of like past trauma that's happened in my life and now I just have to ha like have very certain types and ways of it happening. Mm -hmm. uh, Am I asexual or is it my meds? I don't... Yes! <laughs> that, that alone, that's a whole story right there. Is it my period or am I just super horny right now? Like, what is it? <laughs> that is the that story of my life. <laughs> I, I joke about it earlier in terms of the slaughter and sex and like, I'm not the strongest stomached individual, so I could deal with a little less bones and blood and gore, but <laughs> I can deal with it. It's okay. Um, but I love how forward they are about the sexuality, especially how yeah. empowering the, se the sexuality that they show is, because I think part of the reason why it's so hard for us all to figure out is because, A, we're never really actually sit, sat down and taught the language we can use and the concepts, and then, B, we're not supposed to talk about it with other people. And, like, you know seeing all the you know that they're being very direct about the kind of sex that's happening and it's you know like masking people like giving oral sex to femi to, to to women and like you know to um they're not just showing the traditional stuff you see can Although we also this was also can we also talk about batman on his knees in front of catwoman because oh and giving her the foot massage that was a scene <laughs> well i think that became a very good scene i like but do you know the history of how that scene came to be no but you need to tell me now Ooh. I don't know if y'all remember this, but there was a story a couple of years ago about how that he would never go year, down on oh, yeah. a woman, yeah, on Catwoman. So this season is why, because the people who wrote Harley originally wrote it as he was seen going down on her, and then the, the DC execs were like, "No, no, 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 you can't show Batman doing that. He's big and strong." So they were like, "Okay, we're gonna show her on his knees, worshiping her feet." Yeah, so how about that instead? You know, and. Uh, you didn't see it, but Abby was giving two you know, middle yeah. fingers up. I yes. think that's exactly what it was. It was the writers being like, fine, you don't like that? Batman can be super strong and still be super on his knees for a powerful woman. Nothing wrong with that. Yes. I feel like that's mostly how we're going to see Batman this season is very much him like so obsessed with Selina and worshipping the mm -hmm. ground she walks on. And then you're just going to have Dick as Nightwing being like... Dude, what are you doing? We have like crime to solve. I am now the super yeah. serious gruff voice man. I love that she's basically treating him as a, like, non-actually agreed-upon sugar daddy. Yes! <laughs> like, she describes it to, to – I, I think she's Ivy she's talking to. She's like, yeah, I really like this guy. Like, he's got a mansion, and, like, I've basically taken over a whole wing of it. And then Ivy's like, yeah, so how is he? And she's like, eh, he's okay. <laughs> and, like, it's just fun to see that. And that, so she was, like – that FaceTime call was definitely, like, he could hear that, right? Oh, yeah, he was right there. Oh, yeah. Okay, so he has all those villains in his house. Yeah. 
and he's Batman. Why has he and not the entire tried Bat to get family them? is there? Like why? Like how are they not realizing they're there and they can? They get also them? all ended up in the escape room together and just no one cared. They're like, okay, yes. <laughs> I liked, I really liked Nightwing and like Ivy kind of working together and they showed, because they do have very similar traits. They're both very analytical and they're both highly intelligent and they kind of paired like certain people off together in that to kind of show like villains and heroes and similarities. It was cool. Yeah. Well, especially because going back to season one, there was, you know, Robin was a major character because Robin was saying, like, Harley's my arch nemesis. Yes. <laughs> and Harley was like, no, I'm not going to. And there, many of you have heard on TikTok or other places this great sound clip of Ivy explaining you can't kill Robin because then it will just justify all these stories about you being a child, mur- you know, about, about you being his nemesis and put you on his level. And then King Shark's in the background going, and you'd be a child murderer, which maybe should be a concern. It, now, because I just watched Titans, uh, I mean, I were watching that show together, which is a wild ride, but does some very interesting stuff with the character of Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. The person who's Robin now looks younger than the Robin from season one. So is Nightwing the Robin from season one? Because I think that would be even better if that if that if not, like the, the, the huh. ages don't quite line up. But I think it'd be great if like Nightwing is now the person who Harley is getting along with who used to be this annoying kid. Yeah, I, I don't, think he probably could be. I don't know how much time has passed since season one. Right. Yeah, like, I don't... It, There's, like... The years don't really line up either. Like, the, uh, he would have to maybe be, like, a, like, maybe Nightwing went off, and then there was, like, Tim Tim Drake, or no, who, no who's the... Jason, like, she Jason was fighting Todd, with Jason yeah. Todd, maybe, and... Ooh, then... No, we, but I, I... But I think that Robin, I think they, they talked about him being Dick Grayson in that first season, so... I'm going to have know. to go back and watch season one and see if they, they do mention that he's Dick Grayson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, like, so a few cool. years in, like, the high school years where especially boys, like, Oh, my God, up. yes. So, like, maybe it is him and he's just younger Look, than we think he is. Not even just high school. I teach eighth grade. Like, yeah. and some of the kids that I had, like, last year, they're going to come back and I'm going to be like, you look like a man. Why yep. do you look like a yeah. man? You're 13. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember eighth grade when I still had like, you know, I looked maybe 10 or 11 and I had friends who were shaving. Yeah. And I was like, this is this is not fair. I am excited to see where they're going to go. I like that they're developing the Bat family a lot more, too, because I just I think the dynamics within the Bat family have always been fascinating. It's one of the things I love most about those stories in the comics. Uh, Titans, as I said, it's it, it's an up and down show, but especially in season one, there's some great stuff about Dick Grayson dealing with all the ways that living with Batman screwed him up and seeing the same thing happen to Jason Todd and how it's going to deal with it. I'm like, I don't expect Harley to go in the same direction, but I think it's going to sort of play in the same waters. So really excited uh, to see like uh, Dick Grayson and Batgirl interact. Yes. Yeah. 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 So giving it a quick Goog, it looks like it's uh, Damian Wade. Wayne is the name for the Robin, not Dick Grayson. So was that in season one as well? Yeah. Okay, so they're already into uh, him having the kid. He, Interesting. Yeah, and he actually is a biological son of Batman. This right. one. Yeah. I, I think in comics, uh, Talia al Ghul yep. is his mother, right? Yep. And that is correct. Yeah, it's all the, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. He, he remains the same. But that was a really cool thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Headcanon. Still, it's fine. It's headcanon. Yeah, exactly. Lots of ways we can look at it. 
So what else about this, this, these, these episodes so far caught your attention or was worth commenting on? I'm really excited to see what they do with uh, Clayface being in Hollywood. <laughs> I think that's going to be a Taking over the position with James Gunn. <laughs> yes. But also the fact that they included James Gunn, like, I think we're going to get mm-hmm. some good commentary on, like, probably more the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, mm-hmm. Well, especially because he directed uh, he directed the Suicide Squad movies. Yeah. And, and that was his, that was. That was his actual voice, and it was also Billy Bob Thornton's actual right. voice. Mm-hmm. But he did Guardians of the Galaxy too, right? Yep. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then he was like, some tweets from his past came up, and so Marvel didn't right. want to work with him anymore. Which is, he went to DC, made Suicide Squad, and then Marvel looked at all the number, the the billions of dollars he was generating, and suddenly didn't care about the tweets anymore. And I, I'm being facetious. Who knows what actually happened? But yeah, yeah he's he's done both, and I imagine he has some stories to tell. And and I think, I think we're, we're going to get them. It'll be really funny. I, I I genuinely don't think he would like trash talk anything with it because it does feel like he still has a good relationship like with Kevin Feige and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, with the stories of the Guardians. But I feel like he could definitely have some really funny and meta quips. That would be mm-hmm. hilarious. Um, I definitely think so. It'll be really interesting to see all of that. I'm excited because they're kind of so when Ivy kind of makes like her like paradise area, that's like a that's a comic line, I think, from like 2015. It was I was I think it was just called Ivy, actually. But she basically like formed her own island. She just lived Mm -hmm. on that island and it was her own it was her own Eden and paradise uh, until eventually some people came and bombed and attacked it, which is so they're kind of like following a lot of that particular kind of like bigger origin. Like she kind of went away from the villainy game, uh, Mm -hmm. which is what happened season one and season two. And then she kind of was forced back into it. And it feels like that's what they're doing with season three. It also feels like with how extreme Ivy goes that there could be some really serious problems with the relationship with Harley because Harley's been pushing so hard on the plan and that Mm -hmm. Ivy could feel like betrayed because she's like, you pushed me to do this. Why are you so upset? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I, I think that'd be really interesting. I mean, she, yeah, she actually makes a comment about how so she shouldn't be going to the villain awards because she's an antihero in her mind. Mm-hmm. And I think we've mostly seen that. Like most of the people she's mm-hmm. killed have been like, you know, evil corporate executives yep. who are, you know, polluting the atmosphere and stuff like that. And um, and, and like I, I really like that for her. And I and and she's had moments where she's like, Harley, you shouldn't like she'll both be upset that like Harley is doing these horrible things. But then she'll be like, eh, and Harley, also, you got blood on my dress. Like, you know, like that's it. You can see that she like in general doesn't love the idea of the terrible things Harley's doing. But she's not actually that bothered. And she's I like, I think really she was bothered irritated. by Harley kidnapping the queen. Yeah, and she's really yes. irritated by, like, how much Harley feels the need to kill. She's like, it's been two days. Like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it definitely but- seems like some real... Because they did, like, jump into a romantic relationship, which mm-hmm. can put a lot of strains on any kind of relationship when you go that fast. But especially having yeah. been friends, like, making that transition is so hard. They went from zero to 100, like, yeah. that. Yeah, it, it, it's like there's the three major 
I don't want to say three strikes are out, but like there's three major red flags about that. Like there's the friends to lovers thing. There's the Harley coming out of an abusive relationship and all the stuff we talked about there. And also, I mean, like if you use these kind of terms, this is kind of Ivy's rebound. Like this is the relationship that she, she, I think it's pretty clear that she doesn't, didn't just leave Kite Man for Harley. There is an extent to which Harley helped her recognize that she didn't want to be with Kite Man. But she, like, the whole thing about, like, you know, you leave a serious relationship, spend some time to be single and get to know yourself again before dating again, that didn't happen. So we got a lot of things that can come up in this relationship. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it could be, like, the end of the relationship for them, but it does mean Mm -hmm. it's going to bring up a lot of problems and probably fights between the two of them. And just, like, specifically from, like, the the trailers that they've shown where Ivy's just, like, going, like, full madman with all of the vines and stuff, it definitely feels Mm -hmm. like she's going to go to an extreme later on. That's very possible. Especially when Frank gets, like, juiced up and he gets, like, super buff. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. <laughs> DJ Sm- Smooth is everything <laughs> with that voice. Is that that's the voice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's also in Spider Man. <clears throat> he's also who? He's Kite Man as well? No, he's in Spider Man as uh, one of the teachers that Peter has, like in Homecoming oh. and Far From Home. He's oh, the black teacher. Right. Yeah. Oh, he's the one who's like, no, mm-hmm. you're, you're a terrorist. I don't trust you. Yep. Okay. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, let's talk for a minute about some of the side characters, because um, we don't have the wheelchair landlord, who was a good character in some ways. I like the wheelchair representation. They kind of were playing up the he's a terrible person and isn't that funny a little more than I liked. Uh, and he died nobly at the end of the last season, so we don't have him. But I, I feel like King Shark and Clayface are just too... When we talked a little bit about Clayface in Hollywood, talk about King Shark a little bit, because I think he's such an interesting, like, he's a villain... But he's often, like, the conscience of the group in terms of being, like, like I said, Harley, you're also a child killer. Like, what? how do you feel about King Shark, especially in this season? I've always loved King Shark. I really loved how he had, like, his mini little side quest with his dad, and he had to, like, get married. And, yeah, we forget about that. King Shark's married. <laughs> yep. And they had an almost... Disney would almost sue them, rip off of Under the Sea. Oh, yeah. As, like, the whole, like, Little Mermaid shtick. That was great. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't know what to expect from King Shark. I feel like King Shark doesn't really want to be in the villain gang, but he wants to have a family, and Harley gives him Mm -hmm. that family. Yeah, I feel like King Shark is the definition of a support character. Like, he is there to support his team. He doesn't really yeah. have a ton of motivation on his own, but whatever his family's going to do, he's going to be there. No, without Harley, he started a started a lemon tree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's really good to put it. I think he like. I mean, this is very much not surprising for a movie that has so many queer themes. It's very much a found family kind of group for them. Yeah, and I think King Shark in many ways is the one who most holds that together. Because you're right, like Clayface is. I think in season one, I kind of felt like they they were playing similar roles. And I think by now they've really differed a lot. You know, in Clayface having all of his Hollywood ambitions and and really just being this kind of like very extra, very flamboyant, um, just kind of like always, he always has these ideas and dreams. And he never, like, there's a scene towards the end of season two where he gets mind controlled by Psycho and he just becomes this like 30 foot death monster. And Ivy and Harley are going like, why don't you always do that? It's because he'd rather play the, you know, Southern Belle who as the deception. And I, I just love that for him. 
I agree. Clayface could easily take over the entire world if he wanted to, but like that's mm-hmm. not what he wants to do. He wants to be a movie star. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool concept. So he has the skill too. I don't know about the brains. Googling the wrong gun brother seemed like a big mistake. <laughs> it felt like well, an honest mistake. Mm-hmm. And he can't really hold an accent. Like yeah. he, his own no. voice keeps coming out in ways that uh. But, you know, hey, maybe if he'd gotten some uh, training lessons, acting lessons with Billy Bob Thornton before the tiger ate him, maybe it would have happened. It's a good kitty. I could see that a mile away (laughs) when she was like, that cat needs to stay in there. I was like, oh, it's a tiger and it's going to eat somebody at some point. Yeah, that was Chekhov's tiger. It 100%. It was totally just like check the box of like you could easily predict that entire sequence of what was going to happen to him it was just who is it gonna eat he also clayface can't hold the teeth did you notice that he had the wrong teeth with james sometimes he can Mm -hmm. though because when he was billy bob thornton he had the right yes i don't know what that was can he change his teeth or not i don't know i think some of it's about how nervous he is yes but yeah like i'm not really sure it's definitely very interesting the way he does it or his concentration so. level. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun to see. I, I did also like, I, I loved Joker turning into this suburban dad. Um, but I do kind of like that, that Joker's come back as Joker. And now he seems to be just fine with Harley. I you know, th- like. I think he's still the suburban dad, but he ha- but he is still slightly villainous. Oh, because oh, I know he wanted to get back together with his girlfriend. Yeah, and I'm just saying this he... from the one trailer because the mm-hmm. one trailer he like he definitely does still seem like the suburban dad from the little short clips of it. But it's okay. gonna be a waiting game. At the award show too, he also like sends his kids to bed. Oh, oh that's, that's right. right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And that song, you know, <gasps> it was so good. What, what it do do what like the Joker do? It was just, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. They do music I, I think very that's well. All... Mm-hmm. Commissioner Gordon is still kind of a sad sack, but he, like, has a sad sack with some motivation. Yeah. <laughs> but him getting his identity I, I like... stolen on the toilet. Like... Yes. You, you don't <laughs> oh get God, sadder that's... than that. So bad. And, like, how easily Harley and, and Ivy knew they could play him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like... It... A lot of him in season one and two was cringeworthy. Now I kind of am, am enjoying him a little more. I, I very much enjoyed his quip at uh, the like political speeches, debate, whatever it was, where someone yelled like, you know, the the police commission is too high at him. He's like, there that was the mayor that said it. And he's like, you approved that. Like, you're yelling that at me. That was you. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. It's cool that we're going to see some politics, for sure, in this season. It's the, mm-hmm. again, it's the mundane things that they add to it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it just, it feels like, <clears throat> even the villain awards, like, because I, I, I feel like so often with those things, they're often skewering something. You know, it, they're, it's mundane, but then they're going to parody it. Because, like, you know, as someone who, I, I lost most of my respect for Oscar-type shows many, many years ago, but the continued, uh, particularly from the Emmys, like, ignoring of all the incredible stuff happening in terms of superhero world. I'm just like, this is so nuts. I agree. And so, yeah, having it be like, yeah, you have to bribe the person to get the award. But yeah, it just, it was, and all the ridiculous jokes and stuff. And Catwoman's call out of, you know, like the Emmy so white or Oscar so white, whichever 
award show that was. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, that's a they thing in their are. world, too. <laughs> yep. And yep. she's and like, black-, black Martian here has been here the whole time. He's like so <laughs> villainous. And everybody's like, wait, he's black? And I'm like, it's in his name. Yeah. I mean, he does <laughs> like, wear a black suit. So like. He does. But like, I feel like they all should have known that. Like, if you're villains and you all know each other that yeah. well, you should know. I mean, has I, I don't know. Has Black Mantis been been a black person under the suit the entire time? In black comics? Mantis? I don't think they ever show him. Okay. In comics. But again, if you're like villains and your BFFs and like Lex Luthor's your CEO and you have this whole ranking system, like I feel like mm-hmm. you get to know somebody on that level. Yeah, you definitely do. You definitely do. You're going to catch someone nice like breaker. washing their hands in the bathroom. You'll know. Yeah, something. Oh, the, uh, what is it? An imperceptible man not washing his hands. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's about all the things I had. Is there any other kind of last things you, uh, either of you wanted to bring up? I don't know. I think I'm really excited just to see how the, how the show goes and where it goes from here. If you've never watched Harley Quinn, you're just listening to this. It's a really, really good show. You have a quality mm-hmm. binge ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. like it, and it's an easy binge. Like they're short episodes. They're not long episodes. They're meant to hold the attention span <laughs> that mm-hmm. we all have. <laughs> and, and as much as we talked about, like there being some very emotionally intense stuff that I think they cover well, they do a very good job, I feel like, of mixing humor into those moments so that you never feel like you're spending a half hour just experiencing emotional trauma on TV. But you also don't feel like the jokes undercut the emotional seriousness of what they're talking about. And that's that's such a hard balance to find. And I think I really appreciate that in the show. Yeah, it's I very agree. good. And I just wish that, like, it, it's kind of like the... For me, it's the standard for how all adult uh, animation should go. Because mm-hmm. I, I haven't really liked much adult animation. Like, I didn't grow up really watching, you know, Adult Swim and stuff like that. I think maybe my max would be, like, Rick and Morty. But even that, I'm like, eh. Sometimes it's not done as well as it could be, in my opinion. This mm-hmm. is, like, top-tier adult animation, how it should be done. And especially since they announced Marvel Zombies will be mature, I'm hoping that they take some just some pointers from them. Not exactly, because clearly it's not meant to be as funny as Harley Quinn is, but right. take some pointers like, for how well the writers have done. I think Harley Quinn is like on par with Archer for me in adult animation. Like, okay. It is violent and ridiculous, but also like some levels of humanity are in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely fair. That's definitely fair. I, I will say the one last thing I want to bring up is that they've brought back my favorite character in all of uh, comic books, uh, or well, certainly my top five, Amanda Waller. Uh, yes. And they again, like Viola Davis, will always be either Viola Davis or CCH Pounder, who's the voice in the the Justice League cartoon comics and Batman the Animated Series. Those two are for me the original um, uh, Waller, but this one felt right, and I I liked it and. I love her character. I think she'll be a fun part of the show. And certainly it doesn't like it doesn't feel coincidental to me that James Gunn is a recurring character and the Suicide Squad is in this movie. Like to me that feels very intentional yeah. in a way in this show now. In a way that I think will he'll probably there'll probably be some I like I would love like the Suicide Squad might kill him or there's going to be he's going to make some joke about them or 
there's gonna be some fourth wall break there that I'm really looking forward to. That's I really good. want some kind of like peacemaker tie-in. That would be Ooh. really fantastic, uh-huh. just for how well they did with that show. I am kind of sad that it was not Viola Davis's uh, voice. I kind of wish they had mm-hmm. gotten her for that, but I also understand why they wouldn't be able to. She's like so top tier and impossible to get. So yeah, that her schedule and the budget may both yes. made those things yes. not <laughs> not possible. Not possible. Um, all right. Well, thank you both so much. This was a great conversation. Uh, how, how many episodes are there going to be? Is there going to be a 12 again? I don't know. You know. That's a good question. I have no idea. To the Google. Because if there's that many, I think I'll probably do like two more episodes as the season goes on. Uh, I'd love to have the folks from Animation Deliberation on at some point, the great podcast on the Strand Panda Network about animated shows, because we haven't said a word about the actual animation, and I'm sure they can give some great commentary on that. Um, but I'd also love, as, as we wrap up the season, we'll probably do one more. Ten episodes. So, Ten? Ten episodes. Cool. Yeah, I think we can justify a couple episodes about that as we go on. Uh, Well, thank you both so much. Um, Emily, uh, for those who don't remember from last time or just haven't heard it before, where can people find you and all the great stuff you're doing? Uh, All my Instagram, Twitter, that type of stuff is under Emily or Lou. So E-M-I-L-Y-O-R-L-O-U. I'm a regular on a sports podcast the 323 with reed murphy um as well as my own emily sissel asks what if where i take moments in sports history and i ask what if something else happened and how that has a bigger impact on society as a whole um and then I also, of course, present at different comic conventions. I am still waiting to hear back from New York Comic Con, so I have nothing official on that yet. But hopefully that's my next one in October. Good luck. I actually have a question. Have you done the Miracle on Ice yet? What do you mean, done the Miracle on Ice? In terms of oh, what if? Oh, doing you- the... Okay. Uh, no, I have not hit that one. My next... Because I took a long break, because being a teacher mm-hmm. is really hard, guys, if you didn't know. Um, my next one is boxing uh i haven't decided which boxing match to do yet because there's a lot of them that have a huge impact mm-hmm. miracle on ice uh will probably be a couple after that because i okay there was something else that i was supposed to do as well i have well, a if you've, massive if list. you ever do it let me know because i have a lot of thoughts about how like that like great victory against the Russians right about the time that Reagan was starting to be like, no, screw this detente stuff. Let's get back to our Cold War. Like, I think it'd be really fun to ask, like, what if we hadn't beaten the Russians and how would that affect, you know, and it wasn't Cold just, War politics and stuff. It wasn't just uh, Miracle on Ice, but I mean, there were there were also boxing matches during that time between Soviet or like <clears throat> East European boxers and uh, right. U.S. boxers that got real intense with that. I mean, Rocky versus Drago is always going to be my favorite of oh, the 100%. Russian versus American ones. But yeah, definitely. 100%. Uh, and Abby, I know you're kind of much more of a social media hermit. But are there any particular things you want to give a shout out to? Um, you can follow me on Instagram if you are interested in knitting and cats. It's Abby.Nyman, N-E-I-M-A-N. That's all I post. That and food. I yeah. just uh, got into uh, knitting. Nice. Oh, we should talk. <laughs> The knitting is great. The cats are fun. And also you can see some pictures of very, very well done bread. Uh, that is definitely worth checking out. So, And, of course, uh, my stuff is all under the name The Ethical Panda. You can find – if you go to theethicalpanda.com, you'll find all my contact information. You'll find the other podcasts I do. We're having a lot of fun over at the Star Wars Universe podcast, getting ready for Andor, talking about some of the books that have been coming out. Uh, I am reading Padawan as fast as I can because spoilers <laughs> are being posted like crazy. Uh, I've already had one major thing spoiled for me. Uh 
that was even spoiled before the book was published because of some people who got advanced copies and were not nice people. So don't spoil those things, please. Uh, but I'm going to read that as fast as possible. We're going to talk about it on the podcast. We're going to talk about Andor. Uh, but most importantly, on that website, you'll find all the ways to contact us because we love feedback. We love to hear what do you think about this show? Are you just enjoying it just as a fun pleasure and don't want to even think about all the stuff we're getting into? Do you love all the issues it's bringing up? Have you not seen it? Now you kind of want to because we talked about it. Or you still think it's a terrible idea? Let us know. Uh, email, Twitter, Facebook, all those things are right there on the website. So I'm have my... So on behalf of myself, Abby, Emily, thank you all so much for being great listeners. And as fans, be good to each other. Bye.